forward to the Lord's blessings today. I turn to Acts chapter 9. We've been looking, uh, we're doing a series on looking at all the churches in the New Testament. And we began with the church in Jerusalem, and this is the third lesson that we'll be considering concerning the church in Jerusalem. And as I was preparing uh, this particular lesson, and I'm also bringing these lessons up in Deer Park on Tuesday nights, and it's interesting up there, they give me an hour and a half or more to teach, and so I can do two of the lessons that I do here in one night there. And so things are overlapping, but as I was thinking about this lesson, I see why is it important that we consider, we take a look at the churches in uh, the Word of God? Um, you know, there's not a lot of scripture that we can look at where it says in black and white, and for example, how to start a church. And thus shalt thou start a church. Do this and do this, and there you have a church. There's not one scripture that says, this is how you start a church, um, in black and white. Um, There's not a verse that says, upon a person's salvation, thou shalt baptize him that same hour. There's not a verse in any of the epistles that says that. Um... There's not a verse that says how often we ought to observe the Lord's Supper. There's uh, uh, not a verse that says how long a person should be discipled before they become a member. But there's a lot of churches that have different practices concerning all these things that I've mentioned. And some of them hold on to them pretty dearly um, concerning ordination. There's not any scriptures that say exactly how... Thus shalt thou do it, and thou shalt lay your hands upon his head, and thou shalt question him with no less than five ministers, and so forth. There aren't any scriptures that say that. It's almost laughable when you try to insert that, because we know that there are not those things. And yet, things are to be done decently and in order. And there is an example in the Word of God for how things should be done. But I think what's missing in so many churches today, I think this is the real thing that's missing, is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The whole point of Jesus telling them to wait before they began the work of the church, and we already looked at how the church existed before the day of Pentecost. It didn't start on the day of Pentecost. But like Brother Kilgard has told me, he's heard, it's like the Ford truck that's put together in the manufacturing plant and they roll it out but until they put gas in the tank it's not going to drive anywhere it's a truck it's it's a function it's a truck that will function but until you put gas in it it doesn't have any power and the church was in existence we looked at that we looked at how the apostles had already been ordained we um, uh, considered how the apostles and the 70 disciples had been baptizing during Jesus' earthly ministry. And we considered all those things. Um, and so we saw, we see, by looking at the churches in the Word of God, we do see how they functioned. And what has happened so many times, de- well, speaking of the leadership of the Holy Spirit, um, what's important is that we rely on the direction of the Holy Spirit. What happens in real life is churches are started under di- different circumstances. Are they not? If you look down through history, are there not times of persecution? And so when people are fleeing, as we saw in Jerusalem, they're fleeing for their lives, and they go off to another place and they have to start a church. 
maybe they have to, the circumstances surrounding how they start a church will be different than a church split. Mm. Will be different than an evangelist who goes to some foreign country and he is just him and another guy and souls get (laughs) saved and they have to start a church. You see, their circumstances are different and it's not always clear cut, but there are some principles that we cannot get away from. And those examples are for us in the Word of God. Um, we're going to consider some of those things today as we consider how the church did missions. Um, last week, we closed up by looking at how, upon persecution, of course, we had the, the church in Jerusalem. It grew very rapidly to being over 10,000 people. And then upon the persecution of Stephen especially, um, it says the church was scattered. But... While they were scattered, they went everywhere preaching the word. And when they go everywhere preaching the word, well, then that means that souls are going to be saved. And we saw how that everywhere souls were saved, churches were established. And we talked about how scriptural evangelism is not like the evangelists who go out and they have these worldwide crusades and campaigns and they fill stadiums and they preach and they feel like they've done a wonderful thing because so many thousands of people came forward and said a prayer but then they're just left to themselves. Scriptural evangelism has the preaching of the gospel, souls being saved, souls being baptized, and then souls being added to a church, discipling, and so forth. That's the Great Commission. And so we saw that's what they did in the church in Jerusalem. Philip and others, they went and they, wherever they went, we see that churches were established in those places. And the church in Jerusalem actually sent Uh, two apostles, uh, one of which was Peter, to go up into Samaria and confirm the brethren and teach them. And we saw that as they made their way back down to Jerusalem, they stopped in all the cities on their way, and they were teaching and edifying and building up existing churches. And so um, this morning, I want to consider the church in, in Damascus. And you might think, well, what does the church in Damascus have to do with Jerusalem? Well, it is linked, and what we're going to see, what I want to focus on today is, and we'll see it as we continue looking at Antioch, and then we look at Ephesus, and we look at all these other churches. I'll just plant this seed. I don't care how powerful the man was in the church. Nobody went anywhere without being sent. Right. Okay. Paul, he would... He Think about this. The Apostle Paul, if ever there was a person who did not need church authority, it would be the Apostles, wouldn't it? Because Jesus had told them directly, go into all the world. And they could have said, Jesus told me to go into the world. I don't need your instruction or your uh, blessing. But yet, every time the Apostles went out, it says, and the church sent them to go to this place. Okay, and just keep in mind as we go through these things how many times it says in the church or churches sent. Um, but turn to Acts chapter 9, and I want to consider um, Ananias to begin with. Uh, Acts chapter 9, just verse 1 real quick. Um, it says, And Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priests. And desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And then we know the account of how Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. And down in uh, verse 10, 
It says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And he said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard much, or heard by many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so he went and he, uh, well, we we'll read down to 19. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me. So notice the reason that we're reading this is this is the one example where we don't have where it clearly shows that he was a minister, an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, and yet he's baptizing. But what I want you to notice is by what authority did Ananias baptize Saul? <laughs> His authority was good enough. He says, the Lord Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And then Saul, uh, when he received meat and was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with the disciples that were in Damascus. Now, he may have been a pastor of the church in Damascus. He may have been an elder of the church in Damascus. Um, that's really beside the point. Um, he had authority to do what he did. But I would challenge you to find anybody else in the um, book of Acts who ever baptized where we cannot see that he was sent or that he was an officer in a church. It was always the case. There's no such yeah. thing as what we would call Christian baptism. Um, if, uh, you know, Brother Kilgard, if you were witnessing to a guy at work and he got saved... You don't have the authority to baptize him. Go down to the Spokane River and baptize him. It's, it's a church ordinance. Um, and uh, what we see in the Word of God every single time is when someone was baptized, they were baptized by someone who had either been, in this case, told to do it by Jesus himself, or they were authorized by the church. Um, we see in this passage that there were many other disciples there in uh, Damascus. Um, Saul flees Damascus. It's interesting to see how does this link up with Jerusalem. Well, Saul flees Damascus and seeks to join himself to the church. If we go down to verse 26, it says, And when Saul, in verse 25 it says, Then the disciples, this is in Damascus, took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. <laughs> and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Um, I want to turn to Galatians chapter 1 because Galatians 1 shed some light on, in this account, it would almost seem as though Paul was you know, preaching and teaching in the synagogues and the Jews wanted to kill him and so they let him down over 
the wall in a basket, and he went straight to Jerusalem. Um, and this all happened right after he was saved. But if we read uh, Paul's testimony in Galatians 13, we see this. Uh, in verse 13, For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion, this is verse 14 of chapter 1, I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceeding jealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred, notice this, he says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and then returned again into Damascus. And if I remember right, he was there three years um, in, in Arabia. And then he returned to Damascus. And then it says, well, whatever the numbers are, it says in here, here, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by my face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus also with me. And so um, we see here that there was, it's interesting, this just shows his relationship to the church in Jerusalem, how after he was saved in Damascus, there was, there was a pretty good time, time gap there before when he went back to Damascus, it appears to me, and then he went down to Jerusalem. Um, one of the things here um, is that Barnabas was associated with Saul in the book of Acts in, in helping him. Uh, if you look in verse 27... It says, when Saul did go to Jerusalem, uh, let's see here, but Barnabas, it says in verse 26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he said to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and de declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how that he preached boldly in Damascus, in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming and going out at Jerusalem, and spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. But when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea, and notice this, sent him forth to Tarsus. I don't know how I had missed, missed this in the past, but um, I always wondered, we know that, remember when uh, later in Acts when, uh, Barnabas goes to Antioch, and the church in Antioch was growing. It says, then uh, um, Barnabas went to Tarsus and got Paul and brought him down. And I always wondered exactly how that pieced together. I was missing this. How when he went into Arabia, did he go back and go home to Tarsus? That's where he was from. 
which is up by Turkey, if I remember right, Syria, Turkey area. And uh, what we see in this passage is that um, the reason that he ended up in Tarsus is because the church in Jerusalem actually sent him there. So even how Paul, you see how I'm talking about churches sending the apostles and the men and them not just running around of their own volition. Um, Now they were led by the Holy Spirit, but the church still sent them. It says, when the brethren knew, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. And then we don't hear about any more about Paul until Barnabas goes and gets him a while later when he's in Antioch. It's just interesting to me how, how it was that the church was working early on. They were constantly sending men uh, here and there to do the work of the ministry. Um, in, concerning the ministry or the, the missions going on in Jerusalem, the Gentiles began receiving the word and were baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost. And Acts chapter 10 gives the account, we won't get into that for the sake of time, but Acts chapter 10 gives the account of Cornelius, if you remember Cornelius, and he and his whole family were saved. And Peter ends up coming back to the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11 and reporting what God has done and how that he's even saving the Gentiles. And then Gentile churches began to be established. And oh, let's go to, now Antioch had mostly Jews, but they were in a Gentile region. Acts chapter 11, let's go to Acts chapter 11 and consider the relationship that Jerusalem had with Antioch. So Acts chapter 11 and go down to verse 19. Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Pastor and I were talking recently, and we're like, man, I really wish that there was a biography on, we were talking about how much more it would be interesting to know about Barnabas. He was such a key figure in the early church before Paul came along. He vouched for Paul that he had truly been saved and was preaching in Damascus. Um, then we see here that they send this man um, is to go up to Antioch to check out the church up there and see what was going on. It says, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, in verse 23, was and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And so if we read so far there, we don't read of a church. All we read is of many people were saved earlier on. And then it says here, um, in verse 24, much more people were added unto the Lord. Um, but notice verse 26. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves 
with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And so we see once again, this is to me, this is a good example of how when evangelism was being done everywhere that people were being saved. And it says that there was added unto the Lord such and such. There was a church there. And so um, this is how it was in the, in the early church. Very simply is that men were sent out. They preached the gospel. People were saved. People were baptized. And there were churches established there. Um, I have here in my notes conclusion, but it's a page and a half. <laughs> so bear with me. But as we wrap up our look at the church in Jerusalem, and then we'll begin to look at other churches, there's going to be so many things that we'll notice that are repeated. It just becomes redundant concerning church practice. But it is evident from the study of the first church of Jerusalem that the way in which the Great Commission was carried out, it was orderly. And according to what they had been commanded to do by Jesus Christ. There are... I already touched on this, but there are no examples of maverick evangelists operating under their own power right. or authority. Right. There's, there's no examples of that. And, and so I, I thought, you know, one guy will look at, um, I'll go ahead and get to it because it's at the top of my mind. But there's one guy who can tell me one person who was an evangelist that we don't know where he came from originally. Who in the book of Acts was known as being eloquent? And he was a great speaker. Yeah, Apollos. Apollos. Yeah, Apollos. So turn over to, just in case someone would come and say, you know, well, well, what, what about Apollos? Who sent Apollos out? Right? Um, so let's go to, oh, I don't have the chapter here, but I believe it's uh, um, chapter 19. chapter 18, the end of 18. Now, Priscilla and Aquila had gone with Paul to Ephesus. um, And you know how it was back then that the Jews, um, not just Paul, but the Jews would go to the synagogue on Saturday. And then they would go to the church on Sunday. And that's what we see here with Apollos, or Priscilla and Aquila. Um, it introduces uh, Apollos in verse 24 of chapter 18. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he, was mightily, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And it came to pass, in verse 1 of 19, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, notice that. Next thing you see is Apollos is at a church, a strong church in Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, he came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. 
So here's what's interesting to me. If somebody was to try to say, well, Apollos was an evangelist and he didn't have any authority, this is the only one that would be questionable. But here's what I noticed. When he came to Ephesus and he went to the synagogue, he was not preaching in a church. He was preaching in the synagogue. And he had to yet be shown some things correctly. And what happened after he, Apollos or Priscilla and Aquila taught him more correctly? From then on, you always see him in the churches, not the synagogue. It says he preached publicly, and he, I believe he would have preached in a synagogue. But all of a sudden, his ministry transferred from being an evangelist preaching in synagogues to being a church preacher. And he was, he was so much a church minister that there was a contention arose in Corinth about people saying, oh, I'm of Apollos, oh, I'm of Paul, oh, I'm of Peter. Um, he became a real leader in the, in the churches. And so notice, though, it doesn't say, and he just continued on his way. It says Priscilla and Aquila got him, and they taught him, and then when he was disposed, when he felt led, that's what it means, disposed. He, so the church didn't tell him to go to Achaia. He was motivated and moved to go to Achaia. And when he was motivated and moved that I need to go to Achaia, the church, it says, read what it says. Yes. The brethren wrote, yeah. exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come to the disciples, not the synagogues, of Achaia, yeah. when he was come to the synagogues, or the, the disciples, he helped them much, which had believed through grace. So now, he's going from trying to convince not just only, but he went from being a minister who was going to the synagogues outside of a church context. Now he's being, having a letter of, literally, a letter of recommendation from Ephesus. From the, it says, from the brethren there, to the brethren in Achaia, where there's already churches, to receive this man. and But what's important, once again, is what you see in the early church is not, and we'll see this over and over, unlike a lot of denominations today, the denomination decides where the minister is going to go. I think I've shared with you before, I had a friend who was a Methodist deacon, and, uh, oh, he was telling me, he was in Durango, Colorado, and he was telling me that they, because Durango's a smaller town compared to like Colorado Springs or Denver, and um, he was telling me how they could never, if they got a good preacher, they could never keep him. Because if the church grew, or, you know, he was really good, because they moved up the ladder. Mm. And the church, if you will, the Methodist church, was the one that um, uh, dictated where he would go. And it's like, oh, well, we have an opening at this, in, the, in the market. It's like when I was studying video production and we were uh, looking at how journalists and uh, news anchors and all this, they, when they get really good, the reason Spokane doesn't really have any good ones is because when they do get halfway good, do you notice that they're only around for six months or a year? And boom, they're gone. And then you end up hearing, well, they're in Seattle or Portland or, you know. That's how a lot of churches work. A lot of denominations, they work that way. That is as unscriptural as you could possibly get. Right. Okay, 
The churches should call their own pastors. The churches send evangelists and men out to do the work, but they, they only send them and give them authority to go do what that man feels that the Lord has called him to do. Right? You'll never find an example where, um, you know, a man is called to go into a region where no one has heard the gospel in the New Testament. Um, you'll see that they sent like Barnabas up to, up to another church to help him out. But as far as going and doing evangelism and preaching and stuff like that, um, God calls the minister and then the church confirms that basically by uh, endorsing him and putting their blessing on him and sending him out. And that's a pattern that we see over and over and over throughout the New Testament. Um, We see in the book of Acts, this is my final point, that the churches that were started outside of Jerusalem were independent bodies. They were, there's no such thing as like the church of Rome or the churches that I just mentioned, like the Protestant churches, um, where like Calvary, Calvary Independent Baptist Church is not part of, well, there are thousands of Baptist churches in America. And we're all linked, you could say, in a spiritual way. We are not linked to any other church. Right. Nobody tells us what to do. And that truly is what it means to have Christ as the head of the church. Yes. Right? The institution, yeah. each, the local church. We don't look to a pope. We don't look to the Missouri Synod, for, like in the Lutheran church, for whatever doctrinal thing needs to be hashed out. Um, uh, we have the Lord. We as a church seek the Lord's direction on what we should do. We just recently went through our statement of faith. And then we, after we went through it, we changed a few things. And then we voted on accepting this. Yes, we as a body, we accept this. It wasn't handed down to us. And if you read our statement of faith compared to a Baptist church up the street, it'll vary a little bit. It'll be a little different. Why? Because we're an independent body and we have a right to preach and teach what we believe the Lord would have us to teach. Okay? And uh, oh, and so that's what you really see in the book of Acts. There's an example of this, um, how this plays out. There are doctrinal issues that have to be addressed sometimes down through history. There have been doctrinal issues that will overtake a region sometimes, and maybe there's a false teaching that has come into a bunch of churches of like faith and practice, and pastors are talking to each other. Have you heard about this new thing called, you know, whatever? And, um, and so sometimes churches will get together and they'll have a meeting and a bunch of pastors from different churches and they'll hash it out and they'll come to a consensus on, yes, this is how we should handle this in our churches, etc. and so forth. But it's still not um, part of this larger church if you will. We'll turn over to Acts chapter 14. If you remember in the early church, there was a false teaching that came in and there were certain Pharisees that had been saved. Many of them, I believe, were probably saved. But just like us today, when people are saved out of one denomination or one religion and then they come in to a church and they're still hanging on to, if a Jew gets saved today, he, there might be still some things from the law that he might hang on to. Um, someone gets saved from somewhere else. Well, the Pharisees that were in, they had been saved and they were in the church, they were introducing this concept that 
if a person um, has truly been saved, or in order to be saved, then they need to be circumcised. After all, that's what the Bible says, right, in the Old Testament. And so this had to be nipped in the bud, this had to be taken care of, and it had made its way from Judea and Jerusalem all the way up to Antioch. Um, Acts chapter 14 and verse 26 It says, they're coming back from a missionary journey, and it says, And thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. We'll look at this more later. Um, This is Paul and Barnabas. They're returning to their home church, and it says, And when they were come, had gathered the church together, and they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the doors of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. And certain men, which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, uh, that means they had a very heated uh, meeting with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And so they, as representatives of the church in Antioch, go to Jerusalem. And being brought on their way by the church, notice that, uh, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter, or for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that, by the, that the Gentiles by the mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did us. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Well, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And so we see first, Peter begins, after much Uh, uh, heated uh, discussion then it seems like they came together for an organized meeting let's hear a final say on the matter and Peter got up and spoke first and then we see in the next one then they let the next uh, these are the representatives from Antioch and so um, the next it says in verse 12 then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Paul and Barnabas and Paul declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And what's interesting here is Peter lays out, kind of doctrinally, this is why we should do this. And then Paul and Barnabas, who've been living and working among the Gentiles, their part in this was to lay out, this is what God's been doing among uncircumcised. They are most obviously saved. They are most obviously indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And these are the mighty things that are happening. And so they gave kind of physical evidence, if you will, of what is going on. But it's not over. And it says in verse 13, and after that, they held their peace. And it's interesting, after it had been heated, 
And there's been much animated discussion. Now they're having an organized meeting. And so it says, and after they held their peace, James answered. And I believe, it's, it's commonly believed but that by this time, uh, 14 to 17 years have gone by since the organization of the Church of Jerusalem. By this time, I believe it is. And by this time, um, James is the past, actual pastor of the church. Um, but it says, and, it, and they, after they had all held their peace, James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And this, to this agree the words of the prophets. So they're basing this on the word of God. As it is written, After this I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is, and he said, so James is saying, here's my conclusion, and here's what I believe we should do. That we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them, that they abstain from pollution of idols. Notice how basic this is. Abstain from pollution of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas named Barsabbas and Silas, chief among the brethren. And so, and then they wrote letters. And those letters were then distributed by Paul and Barnabas as they went back through Syria um, and so forth in, in Cilicia. So you see, it's very, it's all done in a very organized fashion. This doctrinal dispute, was ha- it was handled in Jerusalem. But you see that the church in Jerusalem was not acting like the church in Rome. This was not like a Vatican council, and then um, the church in Jerusalem is having control over all these churches. They actually released, <laughs> if you will, all these churches. Because at the end of the letter, I can't remember exactly where it is, it says, um, oh, we're in, uh, well, let's just go, to, let's just read what happened in Antioch and then we'll close, close out the lesson. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised to keep the law, to whom we give no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from all things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves you do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch and so forth, and they read the letters in the churches. But notice this. 
They didn't have a continued control over those churches. It literally ends with, fare ye well. It was just, the only reason that these letters are being written is that the region of Judea and Jerusalem was where this false teaching had gone out. And so the false teaching was addressed at the source of the problem, and then they sent out the letters. But all the churches remained independent of one another. They worked together in cooperation, but no one church ever had control over another church in that manner. And so that concludes uh, this lesson. Next week, um, we'll begin looking at the church in Antioch. And so, all right, Pastor.